You're listening to Awakening with Lindley Rose, bringing you stories of transformation, healing, spirituality, and empowerment. As a healing guide with a master's in counseling, I work with clients who are experiencing physical, mental, or emotional challenges, and I help them heal by addressing underlying stressors and teaching them tools for living a more empowered life. To get in touch with me, you can visit my website at lindleyrose.com. In this episode, Ketsia Calvert talks about her journey to align with her authentic self after a scary battle with alcoholism as a single mom. She is now sober, married, and helping others through her Instagram posts and the creative writing workshops which she facilitates. Ketsia talks about dealing with anxiety and ADHD, how to balance work and self-care, and the importance of honesty and boundaries in relationships. I love Ketsia's authenticity in her posts, and I hope you are inspired by her journey and receive the message that you may need through this interview. It's been a journey to discover my authentic self and to get in alignment with that. I was very out of alignment with it when I was in active addiction, even before that. I just saw her future. You know, and I thought, I I can't be that mom to her. I always said I wanted to be a writer, but I wasn't able to realize that until sobriety. I wanted to help people find belonging within themselves. And the, the vehicle to do that was writing. Welcome, Ketsia Calvert. So excited to have you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I was I was initially interested in in Ketsia by her Instagram posts that were that just really really intrigued me. She has this journey, her journey out of alcoholism, and um, I am so excited to hear about what part that's played in your journey. What prompted you to kind of get onto this healing path to begin with and what was your life like before and how has that changed? So, yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a journey. Um, I think I said to you earlier that it's alcohol was a part of that. Um, but I feel like I really am on a, a healing spiritual part of my journey now. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, first of all, where you're from, uh, where you live now, what you do currently in your life, and just a little bit, just a little introduction about yourself. Sure. Um, so I am Canadian, born and raised. I grew up um, on the west side of Canada, very cold place called Edmonton, Alberta. Um, and I lived there for my life, my whole life up until I graduated high school. And then I moved to England for about six and a half years um, when I was 20 with an ex. And then I came back and I've lived, um, then I lived in, in Kelowna and then in Toronto. And now I live in the States um, in Pennsylvania. So my daughter and I immigrated um, end of 2020. I married an American. Yeah. So I've been here since wow. December, 2020, <laughs> bit of a all over the place. <laughs> yeah. That's such an interesting background. So how did you, how did you meet him? How did you, how did that whole thing happen? 
Yeah, we actually met on Instagram on my old Instagram account. I don't have it any longer. Um, He, I guess maybe I showed up in an explore page or something and he messaged me about, he read the caption of something and my account was totally different to what it is now, but we connected on there and we spoke for six months on FaceTime and then he flew out to Toronto and I picked him up and a lot of people thought I was crazy. Like, what are you doing? Who is this guy? Um, but it just, it was all right. That was in 2018. So we've been together since then. We got married last year. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So where, where did alcohol come in to your life and, and what, what started to become a problem for you? For me, alcohol did not become a problem until I became a single parent. So my daughter is seven now, and I left her biological dad when she was 10 months old. Um, So this is like eight years ago. Uh, Well, no, seven years ago, I guess. Um, And before that point, I would have considered myself a totally normal drinker. I could take it or leave it. It was a weekend thing, or it was when me and my ex went out with our friends or whatever, but it really ramped up after the, after I gave birth. And then I was, I think I had undiagnosed postpartum and I don't know whether that's true or not, but just based on all the learning that I've done since then, I was very lonely. Um, Our relationship was falling apart at the same time and alcohol became a way for me to soothe myself. Um, but it quickly deteriorated over the course of those like four or five years before I met my now husband. And it became sort of a crutch for me to not feel the things that I was feeling and and going through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was, I'm 40 now. So that was, it didn't become a problem until I was like, you know, 34, 35, 34, I guess. Yeah. 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 And when did you notice that it was an actual problem? What caused you to have that realization? Well, I started becoming secretive about it. I started on the weekends that my daughter would be with her grandparents. I would be going out with my friends and I would be, you know, pre-drinking at home while I was getting ready. But like to the point where I was drinking a lot and I started having blackouts and I'd had some blackouts in the past, like sporadically in my twenties at certain points. And I remember, I, I think I told my mother about it because she remembers this now. And I don't really remember that, but it started happening all the time. And I would like have like these whole nights where I didn't remember things. And so like dangerous, reckless things started happening. And I kind of thought, and I became physically dependent on it too. So like my tolerance went up, I needed more and more alcohol to, even feel that buzz. Right. So I think those things started happening, but I didn't consciously think that I had a problem. I just knew that it was like something that I thought about more, you know? Yeah. It wasn't something that I went online and Googled or anything like that, that, that came later, (laughs) you know, that came later. But I think at that point it was like, Oh, I kind of, it became a routine, you know, Mm -hmm. drop her off at the grandparents, stop at the liquor store on the way home. Then it was like an everyday thing. So it escalates and alcohol is very pervasive that way. It will continue to build up. So, so did you have friends and, you know, other mom friends who drank as well and, and it didn't seem to be a problem with them. Did you drink with other people? 
Was it really just kind of your own thing? Tell me about that. Yeah, there's, you know, now we call it the mommy wine culture. And that was kind of um, starting to kick off at that point, you know, like 2014, 2015. I'd never heard of it until I got into sobriety. And even once I got into sobriety, I didn't really hear about it till like the last couple of years. It's kind of like a buzzword now. But yeah, what I did was I joined a local um, Facebook moms group that had just been set up because I was feeling lonely. I joined it before I left him, but then it became like a lifeline for me. So we'd meet up at the mall food court and we'd have our babies on like the table, like, you know, just spread out. And we kind of, it was like a, a socializing thing, have coffee. And then some of those girls would become friends. And then we would um, have play dates at the park. Well, some of us would be bringing our Yeti mugs that had like a wine spritzer in it and things like that. Mm-hmm. Having play dates over at people's houses. Um, I quickly made friends with the people who were drinking like that. And so it'd be like, Oh, we're going to just crack a bottle of champagne on a Wednesday, <laughs> you know, just kind of randomly. And I think I didn't see it as a problem at that point because when you surround yourself with people that are drinking like that or that kind of um, treat it lightly, I think you're more likely to treat it lightly or lightly yourself. Right. So you're like, Oh, this is permissible, um, totally normal behavior. And you sort of bury your head in the sand that maybe, maybe it's not normal. Um, Doesn't normal and, and, um, common or two different things. Right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, to answer your question, I did find other moms that were kind of doing that. Um, yeah. Did they, did they end up having <clears throat> severe problems kind of like becoming dependent on that as well? Did, did you see that happening for them or was that manageable for them? And, you know, what did you see? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I, if I look back on it now, I guess I noticed that some of them would have had like, we always would joke like, Oh, I'm so hungover today. Oh, I just wish that, you know, my baby would be settled for today or that I could put them in front of the TV with a movie. And you almost, when you're, when you're with a group of moms who are drinking like that, you sort of take turns, like who's looking after the kids or like, Oh, I can help you out today. It's almost like an enabling type of behavior. In sobriety now, like since my um, social media account kind of started taking off at the end of last year, I've had some of those moms reach out to me privately and and be like, you know, I see what you're doing. I, I witness you. I have whatever is going on in my life. I noticed some of my behaviors have turned to problematic drinking, but I have no one I can tell about it. And that was my problem for a long time because I just didn't know who I could turn to. And so some of those moms are like, I look at your content every day. Like it makes me feel hopeful. I don't know if I can do it now. And I'm like, just keep coming and keep looking, you know? Yeah. That's great that you're able to be an inspiration to them. Yeah. So when you were experiencing, you know, that kind of your lowest points, what was your relationship like with your daughter? I taught, I think a lot about this and I write a lot about it on my Instagram. Um, I feel like I was doing the best that I could with what I had at that point. Um, She was five when I got sober and 
it's crazy how much kids remember because she does remember a lot of what happened during that time. And there was some kind of frightening incidents of like, I used to fall asleep, pass out, but I used to fall asleep a lot after I'd pick her up from school, I would just go and lay down in the other room in her bedroom. Um, and she, the one time she was hungry for dinner and she went, we lived in a triplex. It was this old house built in 1912. And we lived on the front half of like the front part upstairs. And she opened our door and she went down the stairs and we lived on a very busy road. And she went through our backyard to friends that we had living in the complexes behind and they brought her home. And I was totally oblivious. And my, my mom knows about this. And I talked to my therapist in Canada at the time about it, but like, it's only now that I'm like, that was so scary that, but stuff like that could have happened a lot more regularly. It just didn't. Right. So yeah, my relationship with her was, is, is still very special. And she would always, she would comfort me when I was sick. You know, she almost was like the parent in a lot of those situations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it, It just, I, I don't know. Kids are so resilient, but it kind of breaks your heart a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, as you're, as you're just talking, I just got this image of her like being sent to you almost like to be like your angel, like to help you through this time. I don't think I would be doing that. I, I don't know if I would be alive if it wasn't for her and later for my husband, because I, she kept me going a lot through that period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you say is totally true. You're now on the other side yeah. and she's been there in those dark moments with you. And now you're able to rise up and, and be the mom that she needs you to be. Yeah. It gives me chills just thinking about it because I think about how different things could have been. Like my life was at this, like juncture when I made that decision and I'd been trying to get sober for like two years before that but when it finally came down to it it, I'm under no illusion it could have gone the other way if Mm -hmm. if if I hadn't met my husband and I hadn't had that hope and then where would Harper's life be if that had happened you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. it just it takes your breath away and you think kids are so strong and so resilient without even like, it was no big deal to her. Right. But like, she just wanted mommy to be okay. And she's so earlier this year, I was in the hospital just for one day for something completely unrelated. And it was like, she was like looking after the house while I was away. She had everything under control. She just really, you know, wanted to make sure I didn't have to worry about anything. And I think even at that young age, like at two, three, four years old, I would look at her sometimes and think, why, why am I doing this? Like, it didn't make sense why I was kind of sabotaging the gift of motherhood that I had always wanted, but that's how strong addiction is. You know, Mm -hmm. it is stronger than love till it isn't, you know? So, yeah. And did you get to a point where you, you really just felt like I can't, I can't do this to her anymore and that became one of the reasons why you these motivating reasons to stop one of the big motivating reasons was our immigration was coming up and our immigration was supposed to happen uh right when covid hit so our interview at the consulate in montreal was scheduled for the end of the first week of april 
And then the lockdown happened in March of 2020. Wow. So my drinking during that period, that summer was so bad because I had gotten all excited. We were going to move right when she was done school that year. We were going to get settled in the States that summer. As it turned out, it happened in December, but those months were like the longest months of my life because I had gotten all excited. That was my motivator. I was like, okay, now I can get sober. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so what happened was we, the border, the land border was closed, but we could fly. So we flew in, I guess it was the middle of June or something. So really it was only about two and a half months that I hadn't seen my then fiance, but my drinking was secretive over that summer as well. And some stuff happened and I like, it was kind of like I saw the few I saw her future and I thought to myself, we're starting a new life and this is really the chance that I have to get on top of this or to handle it somehow because it was completely out of control at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And I just saw I just saw her future, you know, and I thought mm-hmm. I I can't be that mom to her because it it just wasn't fair. Her biological dad is not a good influence in her life either. And I thought, I can't, I can't do that. So this is a gift for her as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so as you've been on this journey of sobriety now, what has been coming up for you? What issues are now kind of rising to the surface that you were suppressing before and what new things are coming up that you're now needing to deal with? So I guess a few things, ADHD, I had undiagnosed ADHD, which I'm not medicated for anything right now, but realizing, understanding what ADHD was, it um, helped clarify so many things that had happened in my life, like not being able to hold down jobs, not being able to focus while I was at work or on particular tasks, feeling really scatterbrained and really overwhelmed with life, but then like being able to hyper-focus on something as well in sobriety. I can manage it in a way that it's a very powerful tool, my ADHD, but in, (laughs) when I was drinking, it was just a big mess. So that's been one thing. Um, Social anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. It's, I always knew that was there. I knew anxiety was there. I, when I was a little girl, I used to, every Christmas we would go to that, my grandparents log house and all the family would be there the night before I barely sleep like a lot of kids do for Christmas, but we'd go to their house and I every year would end up upstairs in a dark room, puking my guts out because I was so over overstimulated. So I've learned in sobriety that I'm an, a highly sensitive person and an empath mm-hmm. did not know that or didn't have words for it. I didn't have a framework. And I think part of the reason I put put myself so deep into this work is because I really just want to understand myself and I, whatever it looks like, I'm more able to accept it with an open heart right now than I was before, before I saw these things, not as gifts, but as like hindrances. And now I'm like, you know, this is a gift to be an empath and to be able to help people through the work that I do now. So. Wow. I love that. I love that. And that's so um, it's just so amazing how those things are now surfacing and you're, you're getting more clarity about who you are really inside you as a yeah. person. It's been a journey to discover my authentic self and to get in alignment with that. I was very 
out of alignment with it when I was in active addiction, even before that, even before that I was. And I think that was because I left home so early when I was 17, I left. And I think in a lot of ways, my um, maturity stopped at that point and kind of stunted me from growing intellectually and emotionally. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That, that's kind of my take on it, but it makes yeah. sense. So what has helped you to get in alignment? What's helped you to kind of create a life that's more authentic to you? Yeah, for me, movement and exercise is huge. I Right now I do workouts at home, like just on the floor here. I just pick something that I like. I have a few, I do some yoga and I do um, like, walking ones and cardio ones. It sounds so silly, but they're all just free workouts, right? I have a gym membership too, but gyms can give me anxiety from a social perspective. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes me and my daughter will have like dance parties where we just love that. I I watch your videos where you're like singing in the car and I'm like, I love this. Like this is, this is it. You know, I was too embarrassed to ever do stuff like that when I was drinking. Cause I was like, Oh, people, people are going to think I'm stupid, you know? Um, Mm -hmm movement. I have, I get up at the same time every day, sometimes earlier, but I'm an early riser, like five o'clock. I do a morning mindfulness, just a 10 minute mindfulness practice every morning. What does that look like? I, right now I use my, um, calm app, but then later in the day, um, I have different ones that I kind of cycle through when I was, when I was still in Canada, I, I had a really good therapist and through her, we use something that's a cognitive behavioral therapy mod- modality called acceptance commitment therapy or act. And I really resonated with it. So I ended up taking the act certification, a bunch of them. So I have like the little certificates here, but I, I did those and I practiced those. So like the dropping anchor, you know, things that help me with my anxiety, but also just to ground me at the beginning of my day. Mm-hmm. I find a lot of my ideas and things, my most clear channel of thought is like in that time in the morning when I'm coming out of sleep or in sleep sometimes too, I'll wake up and I have this like amazing idea. But often in the early morning, I get like really good ideas for my writing and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I have to do that. Boundaries around sleep time. I'm still working on, I'm the first to admit, I'm still working on like putting my phone down. (laughs) That's been really hard in our age where we don't have in-person connections. A lot of the time, a lot of my connections, especially through the sobriety community are in my phone and I can easily get wrapped into like replying or conversations or things like that. And Mm -hmm. I notice some days because that's an energy exchange and, and that can be, very draining for me as an empath where it's like you're giving and giving and giving. And then at the end of the day, you're like, my husband will be like, I'll be like, I have a migraine, you know, I was getting migraines a lot for a while. Well, still, but often for a while there. And I was like, what can I do? What's at the bottom of this, you know? And I knew what it was, but, and, and then food, healthy food. Just really quickly about that. I mean, that's such a universal problem these days, right? With our phones and we're all craving human connection, especially with COVID. So we're even more attached. Like this is my, this is my connection to people. 
Yeah. And it's, it's the boundaries, exactly what you said. That is, that's the key is, is noticing when it's too much, noticing the migraine or the headache or, you know, whatever is coming on. That's, that's kind of just signaling like the body is saying, wait, there's something that's off balance here yeah. and listening to that and actually doing it. Yeah. You know, that's it's, the hard it's, part. Right. The doing it is the hard part because a big part of the journey has been about a about getting into alignment with my authentic self and then be like calibrating my nervous system probably for the first time to find what works for me and what doesn't and I am a voracious reader and a learner so and I get that from my dad I remember growing up he would have like huge bookshelves with like medical journals and medical books. He was always looking for the next, like, Oh, you know, whatever the the trend was, he made, he juiced carrots for like four or five years. He had a a room in the basement next to my bedroom and he would juice them so much that his skin was orange. Right. (laughs) You know, he was convinced and and he ate yams for a long time, whatever he had cancer, right. He had cancer at one point. And, and that, Mm that that then turned him into a very health conscious person. So I think that's been part of trying to get in alignment is getting myself calibrated in a way that works. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always work. And people, people mm-hmm. and situations are very draining. And that's still something I find really hard is protecting mm-hmm. my energy. Yes. Very hard. <laughs> I I can relate Vampire. to that. That is actually one of the reasons why I moved to Hilton Head Island where I live now. Yeah. I needed to get out of the middle of people. Yeah. I just needed nature, peace, quiet ocean because oh, of yeah. the work that I do. I need to be calm, a clear channel to help others. So that was in alignment with what I needed, just knowing myself. Mm-hmm. And I was on that same journey of just who am I? What do I need? What does my nervous system need? All of these pieces. And it's a beautiful thing to actually get awareness of that, where you yeah. start to realize, oh, wow, this is who I am. This will help me. And then taking action towards that just mm-hmm. makes everything flow so much better, huh? And you make a good point too, when you mention nature, and that is another thing also that's really important. And, and that's something I find hard where we live right now. Um, when we first moved here, I wasn't able to get my driver's license changed over till my visa came through. So I had a year where I couldn't drive anywhere. And we live in a quote, small town, but it's totally spread out. So I'm like, not close to anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And nobody walks around here. I, I don't know. Cert- like in Canada, I feel like people walk a lot more or have like a generally very active mm-hmm. lifestyle. And that's a generalization, but that's what I was used to. We were a very active family. So coming here, I found where I, there's a cornfield across the street here and like, I have this loop that I can do. Right. But I've almost been hit by car like so many times because people aren't used to people walking around here. So we live right next to a potato chip plant. We're known for what's potato chips come from here. Right. So it's like, I just, it was, that part is very hard and we don't plan to be here forever, but right now that goes back to when you asked me about what do I have to do to kind of find that I have to find it within myself or or create it in the space that I have here. And with Mm -hmm. the people that I surround myself with, because I, the, if I look out the window, I'm staring at another Brown apartment building 
right across from me. And as a writer, it's like, that's not inspirational to me. So I'll go out in our field and like take my, my shoes off and stand on the earth and be like, now I can write poetry. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me about your writing. Yeah. Writing was, I always said I wanted to be a writer, but I wasn't able to realize that until sobriety, like to actually do it. So prior to getting sober, I had a little resume writing business and I would advertise on the equivalent of um, Craigslist and I, and Facebook and stuff, but it wasn't inspiring writing. It was just helping people with their resumes because I have a background in human resources, but in sobriety, about six months in, I, I had this idea that I wanted to connect with other people on the level of like sharing sharing our experiences through writing and doing healing through writing. And because wow. it had started becoming like a very important practice, a lot of people in my community do um, morning pages from the mm-hmm. artist way. Um, and I don't, that. yeah, I don't mm-hmm. actually do that, but I think it's such a great way to, it's such a great practice. I, I write mm-hmm. through the day as well, but for me, I wanted to help people find belonging within themselves. And the, the vehicle to do that was writing. Wow. So I created these free workshops with just like monthly themes. And I would do a reading from a book of poetry, or I'd read some Natalie Goldberg or something. And I'd be like, I'd give them little writing prompts. And then we'd discuss and people could share and whatever. And it just kind of took off. And I'm doing a recovery reads book club for the first time next month. I'm going to do that every other month, but I would literally do that all the time if I could. So how, how has that experience been with, you know, just connecting with others in that kind of a space? What's that? What's the benefits been like for you? I find it very cathartic because I think there's a lot of untapped potential for healing through collective gathering. I really feel that there's so many divides in society right now that cause, and there always has been, but that's what's at the root is this disconnection. And people think that they're connected because they're friends with people on social media or they're, um, you know, following them on whatever, but those aren't meaningful connections. I wanted to create I didn't care how many people were in the space, but I wanted to have a place where everyone felt welcome to come and figure out who they were and to find a place of belonging. And so I I see my job or my role in that as a shepherd for them to kind of mirror to them their potential because people don't, a lot of people would come and not, they're not all from recovery either. Like they're from different walks of life in different parts of the world too. And just anyone can write something um, and anyone can have something to say. So it's finding your voice through that. And it's been really powerful. <laughs> what an amazing thing to be able to tap into that, almost like that calling inside you. This is what I love writing. There's a potential here to help people because I see how it helps me. I want to connect. And now I want to bring that to others in a space where they can feel true belonging and truly being seen, which is really what we all want and what's really missing in a lot of our lives, especially growing up in our families, you know, when our, it's many people, especially a lot of my clients have grown up without feeling seen and really understood and loved by their own parents. Yes. Right. 
that is absolutely huge that for me, I felt I dissociated for many, many years from all of my experiences. And I often, I would always keep coming back to the word invisible. Like I just felt invisible, not just in my family of origin because I left so early, but I felt invisible in so many situations and to be able to create a space where everyone contributes to this. It's again, that collective, but we all see and we're all witnessing each other and we're all allowing people space to heal or to grow or to just like sometimes people come in there and they'll say oh I'm super pissed off today or like you know my opening where I'm like okay let's like set an intention or whatever my opening icebreaker and they're like I'm super pissed about this and and you know I just let them go and they they talk about and usually by the end they're like they're always glad that they came and and did something, or maybe they just sat and listened to other people share, or they listened to, I read a lot mm-hmm. to, to the people or, you know, anything like that. Sometimes that's all that it takes. And I, yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds like just even your intention to show up in service of others in that, with that true intention of creating belonging and love, more love in this world that is going to be very healing for those people, however they show up. And that's just going to have a positive impact. It is. It is. It's, it's already been very, I've had feedback from people and it's been very impactful for them. And I love how your, your Instagram is really focused on sobriety and, and healing And yet you also do this other thing that's like bringing people together through writing And I think that's just such a great example because, you know, there may be people out there thinking, well, I have to pick one thing and then they don't pick anything, but really it's about tuning into, you know, anything that comes up inside you that you have that desire to do is, is worth pursuing. Right. And you can do various different things because it's just all a part of you and your personal expression as a human being on this planet. Right. Right. I think that's been my thinking behind my Instagram doesn't have a specific aesthetic. It doesn't, it's kind of what I feel that week or what's on my heart that week that I feel like sharing. And um, I share vulnerably. I don't, I'm not good at making reels. I do them sometimes because I'm, I feel called to it's, it's kind of, I want one of the workshops I'm I have upcoming that I'm working on is uh, failing fearlessly. So this whole word failure has a lot of connotations to people, but part of what kept me in addiction for so long was I didn't, I wanted to appear a certain way and I had a certain image and I was afraid to make any mistakes, quote unquote. And I want, I show people through my workshops and through the things that I do that I'm human and that we, we can come and we can be welcomed and loved just the way we are, you know, and, and whether that's through writing, the interesting thing too, is through the writing, it's helped people discover other talents and gifts that they had or things that they want to pursue artistic and otherwise, but that's been really cool to be like, they'll just like send me an email and be like, Hey, I joined this 30 day yoga challenge or whatever. Right. And I'm like, this is great. You know, this, this all, like you said, goes towards, you know, being that person that you are authentically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it really sounds like that you are helping them to awaken to who they are. You're, yeah. you're, you're kind yeah. of just an, um, 
almost like a catalyst in some ways to bring that about inside them where they now feel like they can tap into different parts of themselves that they haven't seen before and now follow that. And you're, you're encouraging them to do that. That was, that was, I, the thing I struggled with for a while was I didn't know how to describe what it is I do. And when I, I don't know if you ever went through the process of like, if you worked with someone to make your website or anything, but like, so I was trying to think of like, not a mission statement. My website's not really like that, but like, I was like, what do I do? What do I do? Like all I kept coming back to was this word belonging. And it was really important to me that belonging was at the heart of what I did, but I everywhere wants like, you know, the seven word catchphrase of like what you do, right. The thing that goes in your Instagram bio. And I was like, Mm -hmm. uh, it took a while for me to encapsulate. And then I was talking to my friend Lauren one day and she said something like, she says, well, you, you're a shepherd for people. Right. And I was like, huh. So then that idea was in my head and then it kind of grew into what's on, on there now, um, which I feel like is still an evolution as we grow as individuals. I feel, I feel like this isn't my last, I'm not going to just teach workshops forever. I don't think this is the last thing, but I am in a stage right now of hustling pretty hard with my business. You know, that kind of beginning stage where you're working really hard. And it's been important to me to have my structure with my sobriety to fall back on because I have workaholic tendencies too, which are kind of Mm -hmm. the, like the alcoholic tendencies, but I would just work all the time because when you love what you're doing, you do want to do it all the time, but it's to the detriment Mm -hmm. of other responsibilities, right? (laughs) Dinner. I can relate so much. And just today, actually, I was having this thought this morning, I dropped off my kids And I thought I can go start working on my next podcast episode that I need to edit Mm -hmm. or, you know, because I didn't have any clients in the morning and usually I have clients mostly in the afternoons, Mm -hmm. but, um, I was like, but then I, it's like this whole choice appeared before my eyes, or I could do my actual morning routine that I need to stay doing through everything because that's going to keep me grounded. And that also included taking a bath. And I I was like, I could be in the bath with my laptop editing my episode, or I could actually just relax and maybe read something, you know, and and continue to do those things through it all and have boundaries, right? Boundaries are times that I work and times when I relax. And because you can quite easily, like you said, fill that any space with work. Cause you're like, well, there's always work that needs to be done. Right. But that that's been part of like on Sundays after I'm done teaching, it's usually time for me, my husband and my daughter to like watch a movie if it's the winter or whatever, or go and do something as a family because, and that's kind of been like sacred time for me where I don't often schedule something else, unless it's like a random workshop, like a pop-up one that I'm doing or the book club or whatever. But generally people know even like phone calls and stuff. I'm like, I'm not a big phone talker either, but some of my friends are, and, and that's fine. And I can, I can put them on speaker and I can be doing stuff or whatever, but I don't, I tell people, I say, if you're calling, you know, at whatever time, you're not going to get my full attention. And I'm Mm -hmm. honest. So I find like in sobriety, I'm able to be very honest Whereas mm. I was just a big fat liar when I was drinking about mm. everything. So mm-hmm. now I'm like, 
you're not going to get the best of me. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And honesty, right. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. is the way that's the way to set boundaries. That's the way to have real relationships. If that's what you want. Otherwise it's just built on a foundation of just inauthenticity. Right. And you get burnt out. You get so burnt out on one of my tendencies too, as a child and stuff is I'm a people pleaser. So that carried on through adulthood. And, and when you don't, when you always abandon your needs and wants in favor of someone else's, you, it eats away at you. And then it manifests in other ways like rage, or I would get really angry when I was drinking sometimes because I'd bottle it all up and then I'd get drunk and then it would all come out. And so that to me was not healthy. Whereas now it's like, I tell people right away, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean I'm not polite or anything, but it's just so refreshing to be able to say, Hey, I go to bed or I, I start reading at nine o'clock till nine 30, sometimes eight 30 to nine. And then it's like lights out. Right. Cause I get up really early and often I get up before five o'clock when my alarm goes off. So, you know, I just, it just is the way it has to be. So we all sit down as a family, the three of us sit down every night, unless once every few months, my husband has something to go to, but we eat dinner as a family. And we did that growing up too. Right. And this was a big part of like, I don't know, just like the foundation of our household, because you can be existing in the same house and really just floating around and not connecting with each other. And it's very easy to get like that. And it does, there are days when it's like that. And I'll say, he'll say, or I'll say like, I feel disconnected or like, can I have a hug or, you know, something like that. And, and Harper sees that and she, you know, we model that for her. So now she isn't afraid to ask for things like that or to just oh, kind of get it, you know? I love that. I love that so much. You're on this incredible path to break old patterns and to model for your daughter, what it means to live authentically true to your heart and to, to be really living in an energy of love. And I want to connect with those around me. And mm-hmm. with that intention, that's a huge, uh, such, such a great example for how to live in today's world. We need more people that are showing up that way. Absolutely. You know? Especially Absolutely. in raising the, the next generation in that way. Well, if there was anything that you wanted to share with those listening about you know, what some of your greatest keys to your personal growth and healing has been, um, you know, what message would you want to share? I think humility has been a big part of my growth in sobriety. It, I talk about this quite a bit because I think it's really important that we look back at what was underneath the things, our experiences and the things that happened in our lives and to us and around us and, and to really figure out what role that we played in that because we are involved on some level in all the things that happen in our lives. I don't, I don't believe that it's just around us. Right. And just having conversations with other humans and being open and curious to learning. I never think to myself that there's a day that I'm like, Oh, I've got it all figured out what works for me. Things surprise me every day in good ways (laughs) and in bad ways where I'm like, but I see everything as an opportunity to learn. So every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to a podcast at the same time, because I just feel like there's like 
so much information out there. My TBR shelf has like 250 books on it. (laughs) Much to my husband's like, you know, oh my goodness. But I'm like, there's so much that I want to know. And I feel like that's what I want for other people is to just be open to having a conversation with someone that you might never have or give them two minutes of your time or give someone a compliment or anything. It doesn't take anything away from you to do that. But that openness for me as a introverted kind of person, uh, like an, an empath, it's, it doesn't come naturally, but it pays dividends because I always feel good when I do it and they feel mm-hmm. good too. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Oh man. I, I resonate so much with, with everything you're saying. And I could tell that you are, you know, you're on this healing path and you're learning and you're growing and you're constantly reading and you're just opening up to what you can learn and what it is that you're here to do. And yeah, that is how I feel as well. It really resonates. It's so great to connect with you and to hear your journey and to see what you're doing. It's so inspiring. And yeah, I just wanted to to say thank you and I appreciate you coming on here and having this conversation with me. This was really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to following your journey as well. Yeah. And if, if anyone wants to follow you, where can they find you? So my Instagram is the Sober Elephant Chronicles. And then my website is KetziaCalvertCreative.com. Okay, great. Well, we'll put the links below the episode. And so anyone can go find you. And thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. you. Thanks, Lindley. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Awakening with Lindley Rose. These conversations are so important. I hope you'll like, share, subscribe, follow, and we'll see you next time.